Welcome to the American Countryside Podcast. I'm Andrew McRae, host of the daily syndicated show for over two decades, heard on over 100 radio stations and XM Channel 147. I go on location to meet the people and places that tell the fascinating stories of past and present. And the American Countryside Podcast allows you to hear the full interview with our guests. I remember the first time I passed through Britt, Iowa a few years ago. I saw a sign for the National Hobo Museum. I didn't know such a place existed, and certainly the topic seemed a little out of the ordinary for a museum. And then I began to wonder why such a museum was in Britt, Iowa. Those are the types of questions I begin to ask myself, and they usually turn into planning a trip back to that place to unearth a story for our daily American Countryside broadcast. So I got in touch with the museum about doing an interview, and they asked if I wanted to visit with two real-life hobos. Well, of course I did. So I asked my 12-year-old son if he wanted to come along, and what 12-year-old boy wouldn't enjoy meeting two hobos? We drove to Britt, Iowa, where we arranged to meet in a small park across from the museum. I had a delightful visit with sisters New York Maggie and Connecticut Shorty, the names given to them by the hobo community. As you are about to hear, their image of a hobo may be different than what you have in your mind. Nonetheless, as you'll hear in a moment, Shorty will tell you about her time riding the rails and the story of their father, who was one of the most famous hobos in the nation. Here's my conversation about one family's tie to hobos and the town that embraces them. New York Maggie, National Hobo Queen, 1994-95. All right, yeah. And Connecticut Shorty, National Hobo Queen, 1992-1993. Let me start with this. You know, people have in their mind a, an image of a, a hobo. Is the image that we have at all right, or what is a hobo in your mind? Well, a hobo is an, an itinerant worker. It is nothing the image that people have. Yeah, they... they uh wander to work and uh, work to wander. They had a wanderlust, and they uh, might have had maybe uh, 50, 100 jobs in their lifetime because they had had to keep moving. The road was always calling them, but they uh, um, always worked. Where we might have one, two, three jobs, maybe five if we're really a little you know, a little flighty ourselves, but <laughs> but, uh, but they really uh, kept going every couple of months. They felt a call and moved on. The two of you are both, would you say, both hobos? Wait, give me your life story. How do, how do we get this title? Well, I'd say we're more hobo types than hobos. I have been about 5,000 miles on the rails, on freight trains. But uh, our father, Connecticut Slim, was a steam air hobo. He hoboed for 44 years. We were raised by our mother, of course. He wasn't home, you know, supporting us the way the, the conventional kind of family. So in 1990, we... Uh, he had he caught the westbound in Parkersburg, West Virginia. So in 1990, we came to our first hobo convention 30 years ago. We've been coming back ever since, by the way. And we came here to bury him. And because we were, uh, you know, daughters of a famous hobo, really, the hobo community, steamer hobos and other hobos, and the community itself, which isn't necessarily all real hobos, uh, took us under the wing, more or less, to speak. And we just started coming back and eventually became queen of the hobos and I you know rode some rails and uh, I'm on the board of directors for the hobo museum since uh, the early 1990s and uh, that's we just got involved and here we are. Tell me about your father's life then what was how long was he gone and what types of jobs and was he riding the rails just to find work and and just enjoyed that life is that right? He was gone um, all of our childhood we he probably left maybe when I was five and I'm the oldest child 
Uh, but we always heard from him. We always spent our summers at his sister's farm. And we know that he was a bartender and that he was a merchant marine and that he painted and that he harvested some crops. So was he then, did you know where he was at? Did he like to work in one certain area or do you know much? From his sister. His sister would tell us pretty much. He wasn't personally contacting us. We heard through his sister who we vacationed at her farm and went to her house almost every week with our mother on Sundays. We knew pretty much what was going on, but we didn't, I, I didn't have personal contact with him till uh, I was probably 30 years old. He actually came, I was working in Terryville, Connecticut, because we're all from Connecticut, and he walked into a store where I was working. I was working in the office, and he showed up at this counter, and he, uh, you know, the woman said, somebody's here to see. I looked up, of course, I knew it was my father. You know, he has a look, <laughs> and... Uh, so I walked up, I said, hi. He said, I'll tell you the first thing he said to me. He said, he said, hi, I'm your daddy. Do you need anything? <laughs> so actually, he had quite a sense of humor. And then somewhere else, then I didn't know what to do with him. So I took him up to, uh, um, you know, this was an upscale furniture store. So, so I took him into the front display window. So those big glass windows, the, you know, the stores had. And we sat on a sofa and talked for a while. He had come to town because his brother had passed and he had gotten his, his car left to him or something. That's what had brought him to Terryville, the town he was born and raised in. And then at some point during the uh, little talk we had, he said, he said, you're beautiful. You look just like a cocktail waitress. <laughs> so so in the, he had a, a, a really a good sense of humor. I, I noticed uh, he had my sister smile. You know, my sister has a certain smile that. You know, I don't really have. We're a little different looking. And uh, and uh, uh, she picked up his smile, and it was a nice little visit, and off he went, you know. And then I didn't see him again for uh, till, uh 1980, about 1980, uh, oh, 10, 15 years later. Uh, for some reason, I had uh, read an article in uh, the Hartford Current, the major newspaper in Connecticut, and it said that uh, last real hobo calls it quits, and then it was about my father, of course, Connecticut Slim. Uh, I was coming off the rails and settling in Parkersburg, West Virginia. So I made contact with him, uh, with his uh, rooming house down there. And uh, I called the rooming house, and uh, he had moved out two years before because this was a lot of years. You know, it wasn't uh, um, every other day or something we were doing stuff. So she said, I'll see if I can track him down for you. So I called her back a few days later because that was the years of long distance before cell phones and stuff. And she had located him. So I, I wrote him a letter to the address she gave me and stuff, and he um, he wrote back, and the opening words to that letter I received was, hello, long time no see. And then, then uh, eventually I went down to see him and brought my, yeah, I have two children. I brought my kids down, my son and daughter, to meet their grandfather. And so we were, I'd say, friends for 10 years, you know, because of his hobo, and, you know, he wasn't, you know, around the family and stuff much, not our immediate family. And, uh, and then when he caught the westbound uh, down in Parkersburg, West Virginia, uh, funeral people called, called me, so he must have had my phone number and he must have had my phone number in his pocket or somewheres. And then so my son and I went down and made arrangements to have him sent to Brit and so he's buried here in the National Hobo Cemetery. You mentioned that your father was a famous hobo. So what made him famous? Was it the fact that he was, in a sense, the, the last of the hobos, or what made him famous? It wasn't really the last of the hobos. That was just the title that the um, Hartford Current chose, you know, to call attention to their article. But he was one of the more known hobos. 
uh, especially in the Brit area, because he came here for many years, too, to the convention. He passed in 1990. And, uh, but he also wandered enough and, and was known enough around the country so that he was known in all the hobo jungles and uh, various places. I found a lot of addresses in his room after he uh, caught the westbound and I wrote to all the different people, and they wrote and said your father would pass through every year, and he worked in our kitchen and uh, stuff like that. So he was, he was well-known. Uh, a small population of hobos got to be more well-known, uh, like that steam train Murray Graham I mentioned over there. He was known all over America. Uh, he became friends with uh, a lot of country singers, Johnny Cash, June Carter Cash, Jim Reeves, the old-time country singers. So uh, they got to be known just because of their character you know my father was kind of had a good sense of humor and uh was outgoing would dance a little once in a while uh steam train looked like santa claus really and he had the charisma like of a great showman like a barnum and bailey showman so people would really be attracted to him so a handful of them got to be well known across the country as they worked and wandered so you mentioned that you have ridden the rails. I'm guessing both of you ha- have over time. Always stay home in case she needed bail. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me about your lives then, riding the rail and, and watching out for your sister. Well, uh, I, I actually, we, we actually traveled together in a small um, motorhome for 12 years. We sold our homes. Uh, my sister had a home in Rochester, New York. I had one in Connecticut. And we hit the road together in this small motorhome, sold everything, and uh, kept a couple of boxes of pictures. In the end, all that was important was your family pictures and stuff. And uh, and we traveled all around America in uh, uh, for a uh, dozen years, huh? Yes. And uh, so we've been to all 50 states, 18 foreign countries, and uh, we visited all 50 state capitals, visited went in them you know and toured them and stuff so so we've had quite a run and but i i left um i think 1996 and 1999 i had two adventures where my sister uh stayed with the little motorhome and uh and i you know rode the rails with some other hobos and stuff like that you know rail riders i always rode with somebody that had been riding 25 30 years you know always a man most people out there riding in the steam air hobo days where were men, although there was some women riders. But I always rode with uh, men when I, you know, uh, rode the rails that I felt safe with. I never had any problems. And uh, my longest trip was about 2,000 miles from Staples, Minnesota to Whitefish, Montana and back on the Burlington Northern Santa Fe, now Burlington Northern Santa Fe, over the Rocky Mountains through Glacier National Park. You know, you can't beat seeing America from a, from a, from a, from a, rail you know (laughs) so when you do this i mean and i know times have changed i've done some of these interviews over time but at that time then was it hard at all to ride the rails and and be able to do this well you always have the chance of getting arrested it's really a misdemeanor but i've been chased out of rail yards but being a smaller older woman uh they're they're not apt to take me to jail they never did but they could you can go to jail for like up to 10 days and get a big fine. And uh, today, since 9-11, it's, it's, they're really more worried about terrorism and uh, violence and stuff. So today, uh, if you ride the rails and get caught, you are more apt to really be arrested now. They can't, it's, uh, it's like more dangerous now and people are more afraid. 
1996, you know, the late 90s when I was writing, uh, I've been yelled at and threatened for jail and stuff, but uh, people jump up and down and get red faces, but they don't, they never arrested me, <laughs> so, <laughs> so. <laughs> when you did that, were you doing it much like your father, that you would go for a while and then work, or was it more just to, to see the country? It was more adventure and see the country. It was, uh, uh, when I rode with this hobo named Frog, we decided I, we do it the old hobo way. He, he rode 25, 30 years. He had a lot of hard times. But we went with no money, so we had to get across the country. The big the trip that was about 2,000 miles, get across the country and back with no money. But uh, at one point, we hitchhiked, uh, oh, maybe 200 miles when our train was going the wrong way, which happens. And uh, uh, the man who we got out of the car gave us like five bucks. And uh, most of the time when we got picked up hitchhiking, it was in pickup trucks. They'd let us in the back of their trucks. But uh, other than that, uh, oh, Salvation Army, we went to a Salvation Army for a shower, and they gave us food. They gave us spam, and even though we were, you know, we could be hungry because we, uh, we had some food in our packs when we left. Uh, actually, the second can of spam, we left in a little hobo jungle because we weren't really lovers of spam, but it was nice that they gave it to us. And uh, they give you a loaf of bread, you know, the Salvation Army. I didn't know these places. Fraud knew those places, you know, so... But it, it was a grand adventure. I'm glad I did it. Were you worried about your sister this whole time? Did she check in with you? Well, she couldn't check in. It was the day before cell phones or before we had cell phones. So I would always, like, watch the news and expect a call, but never ne- never got a call. I never really knew where she was, but I knew she'd be careful. Uh, uh, you said, that, did you make two big trips in? It was two, two different years? Is that when you did it? Well, I, I rode in 1996 with Minneapolis Jewel, one of our hobo queens. We were the only two hobo queens to ever ride a freight train together. Uh, we went from La Crosse, Wisconsin to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, was our, our freight train ride. And uh, an adventure, you know, before and during, but that was the basic ride. And then in 1990, I went out for uh, six or six weeks, about six or seven weeks. And then uh, I guess it was in the early 90s, I rode um, down uh, uh, down the Mississippi River out of a, uh, there was a hobo music and poetry festival. And a bunch of us got on a freight train and rode down to Marquette. From, uh, yeah, Marquette, Iowa, down to uh, uh, Davenport or way, way down the line somewhere. So, uh that was the extent of it, those three different times, I'd say. That was, my first ride was in 1993 with my Hobo King, and we went, rode from Dunsmere, California, to uh, Old Sacramento. Uh, Roseville Yards are just before Old Sacramento. Roseville, California is where you get off a, a freight train down there. And we rode uh, a, a grainer, uh, the back of a grain car, you know, the, um, and on the, uh, you ride, it's called Riding the Porch. That's what we rode on down there. And that was another grand adventure. Then we had to hitchhike into Old Sac, where we were due for a radio show, because we were king and queen in Old Sacramento. And so we managed to get a ride and with some woman that took a shine to my king, Roadhog, because <laughs> he was a smoothie, he was a professional hobo. And uh, that was another grand, grand adventure. I, I'm lucky to have been able to do that with good people. Well, both of you have mentioned being queen. Talk about this, about the king and queen of hobos. How does this work out? Well, in Britt, Iowa, every year, second week in August, we have the National Hobo Convention, and we elect a new king and a new queen. You reign for one year. 
you have to get up and make a two-minute speech before the audience, which is your peers, the hobos, the hobo family, and all the townspeople. Uh, if you go over two minutes, you get pulled you get pulled off the stage, and then by audience applause, you win your kingship or your queenship. And it's a kind of a competition, and during the week you go around and you try to get people to vote, vote for you. You campaign so that you will be elected the next king or queen. And why Brit? How long has it been going on in Britain? Why here? It started in uh, 1900, actually uh, 1888, 89. The um, business people in Britain, a little group of them, uh, decided they had read in the paper that the hobos had been having meetings and conventions in the Chicago area, and they were unhappy, you know, complaining. They were always getting arrested and being chased and stuff. So the, the business people in Brit decided, well, why don't we invite the hobos to come to Brit and have their convention here, and this will help get Brit well-known and basically, you know, so to speak, get us on the map. And it was a uh, started as a railroad town, originally Brit. And... Uh, so they uh, contacted uh, Charles Noe, who was the grand head pipe of hobos, who was the head hobo over the jungle and stuff, the hobo jungle. And he came to town in uh, 1899 and met with a group of townspeople that were trying to get the hobos to come. And uh, he got them to agree to give them free German suds, which is a German beer. And once they had free beer... There wasn't much of a problem getting them to come to Brit. <laughs> and they came in on freight trains all over the country. There's newspaper articles in all the major papers all over the country about the hobos were coming to Brit. And uh, they came for that convention, and they've been coming back ever since, over 100 years. We still have a hobo convention here, a real hobo convention where we meet and talk about. Uh, used to be more uh, where the dangerous places are and the rails and where the jobs are and stuff like that. But now it's more um, if there's an issue in the town here, uh, what do we need to do to you know straighten it out? Because we don't want bad relationships. The city has done so much for the hobo community. And uh, anything else uh, people want to bring up uh, that in general might impact the, the hobos or the hobo community as a whole. So, but we meet, still meet once a year here. Are those meetings, do you still have as many hobos out there as the time and culture and things changed over the years? A lot, actually. It's it yeah. changed a lot. Right now I call the riders that come into Brit um, more recreational riders or riders for adventure. They're no longer working and wandering. A lot of them are young riders uh, just going for the adventure. Last year we had uh, Minnesota Jim here was the last steam air hobo, I believe. Uh, present. Uh, present uh, he's still alive. He's in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh that was still coming present to Brit. Of course, there may be other ones around the country we don't know about. But the the real hobos today in America, uh, not that there isn't some random person, you know, that I don't know about, uh, are probably mostly the Hispanic people out in California. What they're still doing, they're hopping on, on freight trains in Southern California, mostly in, in other parts of California, and they're riding freight trains to go up to Oregon, in uh, Washington State, and they're still picking crops and not uh, working on the farms. Then they'll ride a freight train and come back, and, and they don't say we're hobos. They don't even. They probably never heard of a hobo, but but they are living the classic lifestyle of a hobo. They're working and wandering, and uh, to my knowledge, nobody still coming to Brit is working and wandering. I would say uh, it, the 
few older people may have rode a train, but they're not still working and wandering, the, which is the classic definition of a hobo. The, the museum, of course, right now with COVID, you can't see in it, but what is in the museum? What types of things? Oh, artifacts, um, handcrafts that uh, different hobos have made. Uh, uh, they show a movie uh, giving it the history of rider people riding the train, riding the rails, uh, pictures, a lot of pictures, and some of the towns. There was the town has always been involved with the hobos when they were in Brit. The the town band that would be in the parade and paintings, uh, paintings, There's paintings, art. walking sticks. Uh, there's a, a quilt, which is not really a quilt. I'd call it a, a stitchery of some sort. But it's squares put together like a quilt of denim, different denim. And uh, it's uh, different railroad symbols and sayings sewed with heavy string that the Texas madman did. I don't know. He, he was a real riding the rails kind of hobo. And uh, uh, I don't know how he even could sew with this heavy string on denim. But uh, we are lucky enough to have one of his maybe even two, I think, of his masterpieces in there. And uh, my father's, our father's memorabilia is in there. Frisco Jack was a knot tire. His knots are in there. Yeah. And uh, Steam Train, who I mentioned, he has a bench in this little pocket park across from the museum. Uh, uh, there's a whole case of his memorabilia, pictures of him with Dolly Parton, because <laughs> he was quite a character. There's some tramp art years ago. Hobos used to, to, the cigar boxes were wood, and they would carve uh, ornate boxes out of them. There's pieces of tramp art in there. Or, or whittling, the hobo whittler has some art, some of his pieces are in there. Hobo nickels, the hobo nickels, the hobos used to uh, change the look of a nickel to look like an Indian or something and sell those. And so we, have, we were lucky enough to have some of those. There's a nice museum gift shop. Where you can get, of course, T-shirts, but there's all there's uh, books, there's CDs, and other, uh, yeah, other hobo memorabilia in there. So, this park has several different signs and things. Those, and did you experience riding the rails? Were there different things that you would look for so you knew when you were riding the rails that this is different places you need to be? Not my generation. That was more the steam air generation. It, and it was a subtle sign. It, like we have the replicas of a lot of them on these signs. But mostly they were a little mark on a rock or a fence post or something, you know, an arrow or something. It wasn't, uh, and I'm thinking in today's world, these, uh, there's, pages and pages of hobo signs on the internet and stuff but i'm thinking there probably was less signs and they were uh, more discreet and not as fancy as some of the ones that have evolved over the years but they did definitely have a code of the road yeah what is it you'd like people to know about hobos uh, the life whether it's the past or the present uh, even the future here with brit it's been an important part of both of your lives well, I would want people to know that they are definitely part of American history, and they helped build America. They built the railroads. They picked all the crops before it was all automated. And uh, I'd like them to also know that the hobos were work workers. They helped build America, uh, built the helped build the railroads, helped the farmers, and uh, hundreds of other jobs. And they they aren't the the homeless people you see today because. And today, without the background of the steam air hobos and the history of the old, older times, a lot of people mix up a hobo with a, a homeless, vagrant person. And uh, hobos were homeless by choice. Uh, they, they were not homeless because of circumstances in their life. All right. So, All right. Good, good. 
other things that I should ask you that I don't know to ask you or pieces of your, either of your stories yeah, that you, I should work in? Cover it. Oh, no, we could probably elaborate for hours. <laughs> yeah, <good laughs> I'll tell you, uh, uh, this Hobo House restaurant across the street from the Hobo Museum uh, is a wonderful place to eat. They serve breakfast and lunch, but they also have a nice collection of hobo memorabilia. A lot of the hobos over the years have actually signed their wall, and there's some art in there and other artifacts. So if, if someone comes to the hobo convention or the hobo museum, we have a hobo cemetery where uh, 18 steamer hobos are buried, plus others. We have a what we call a hobo jungle, which is a city park that turns into a jungle during the festival. But they should make sure to stop at this restaurant and, uh, and check it out. It's worth it. And I would like to add that going to the Hobo Jungle, we do a service there every Friday morning. And people need to know that we're not the caricature hobos. These were real people. They had real lives. They were wonderful men and women who were hobos. I know one thing that I forgot to ask you is how did you get your names and how do hobos get their names? Is it something that is given to you? Well, hobos usually got their names from other people. They'd see some characteristics about them, like not necessarily a good example, but if they had lost an eye, somebody might call them Wood Eye or uh, Peg Leg Pete if they had trouble walking or, um, uh, or by the trains they rode, Roadhog, Roadhog. Steam Train. Uh, my sister, or people gave, I gave my sister her name, New York Maggie, because she raised her family in Rochester, New York. Steam Train Mari Graham. My original hobo name used to be Twinkle Toes because I'm a dancer. <laughs> so in 1990, I was actually Twinkle Toes. I was in Logansport, Indiana at a railroad festival, and uh, I had, I actually won as Logansport's, Logansport's first uh, hobo princess because they don't have a election there like we do in Brit. And my name on the plaque they gave me was Twinkle Toes. Well, Steam Train pulled me aside and said, I don't like that name, Twinkle Toes, for you. Uh, you know, it's, it's really not fitting. He says, I want to give you a new name. He said, I think you should, my, your father's name was Connecticut Slim. I think you should be called Connecticut Shorty. And nobody was going to not take a name Steam Train gave me. So right there in Logosport, Indiana, my name was changed. So, <laughs> neat, neat. and you said then the cemetery out here has is kind of a hobo cemetery in a way. There's a place the, there. The city of Britt gave the hobos a section of the Evergreen Cemetery, and we have buried all our dead known, known to us. Not not every man. Some of them want to go to their own places, and they they have graves out there. Some of them are what do they call them? Uh, anyhow, man, man-made by the oh, other folk hobos, stone. folk stones, folk gravestones. Yeah, yeah, G- grave markers. Yeah, most of the stones out there were made by other hobos, so they're called like folk gravestones. And uh, uh, we know eighteen of them. My father's buried out there, Connecticut Slim. Uh, Steam Train Mari has a stone out there that Mary Graham. I mentioned him a few times. And uh, but there was also a lot of rail riders buried out there that weren't steam air generation hobos but like my king roadhog miss steam you know it was a little later generation but he definitely hoboed he worked and wandered so there was hobos after the steam air generation but pretty much by the 1960s or 70s they were really really fading out the worker and wandering hobo but there's a lot of them out there there's i think probably almost 50 people are out there now in our cemetery when you were making your adventures 
You mentioned that you never felt that it was that dangerous, but how do you deal with the elements and just getting on trains and getting off and just the cold and the hot and the rain and so forth? <laughs> well, when I crossed up the Rocky Mountains on the back of a, uh, of a double-stack container, it's open, you know, we ride the back so we don't get the uh, stuff blowing on us too much, and it was really cold, so I just... I, I never sleep when I rode trains. I was too excited. So I put my sleeping bag, which was good for uh, 130 below, 30 below, zero. So I'd, I'd put that over my head and wrap up to ride because you could be cold. I know when we slept in Whitefish, Montana, uh, we were real tired. We just kind of laid down in the rail yard. It seemed a nice night at the time. We both woke up, Frog and me, uh, soaking wet because it had rained on us, uh, so we had to lay everything out to dry it out and everything. Uh, so you do have a lot of problems with elements. You take shelter the best you can. Under bridges, of course, it's a lot of uh, hobos uh, jungled up under bridges because it gave them an amount of protection if it did rain. Uh, can't do too much about the heat, just hug shade. But uh, it, it's a problem, can be a problem, sure. What about catching the, catching the train, getting on and off, or do you just wait till you find one that's not moving? Well, I'm a little person in case, you know, Shorty's my name. I'm little. I'm just a little person. But uh, so I didn't get on moving trains because it's too dangerous, especially, you know, I don't have long arms and legs. But a lot of the riders, especially the steamer hobos, they could catch in what they call on the fly. They had a way of just swinging themselves up and, and getting on a train. Um, and I always got off of them when they were stopped. Uh, so it can be dangerous. You have to always keep your wits about you. I know the first time I rode, I actually banged my head on something, and it was a wake-up to me to say, you got, can't just look down, you got to look up, you know? So, but it's, uh, um, we don't recommend uh, young people uh, ride trains or try to ride trains because it, it is illegal, it is dangerous. Um, it's something, you know, we did because, you know, we're maybe a little different breed, some of us rail riders. But, uh, but it's, it's best not to do it. It's best to just read the history. If you go to Britt, Iowa to see the Hobo Museum, there are a few other sites nearby I'd suggest as well. Clear Lake is just to the east and is home to the Surf Ballroom, the place Buddy Holly played his last concert. To the west of Britt is Algona, home to a nativity display created by German POWs during World War II. If you're there during the holiday season, it's amazing to see. And just southwest of there is West Bend, Iowa, home to the Grotto of the Redemption. Look it up online. I don't know how to describe it, but it's really impressive to see. We've done American Countryside features on all of those places. They're some of my favorites in doing the show for 25 years. Thanks for joining me on this visit with hobos and the town they call home. I hope you'll join us again as we travel the countryside in Britt, Iowa. I'm Andrew McRae.